I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So Money episode 1621, Tightwads and Spendthrifts, How Couples Can Navigate Mismatched Spending Habits with Scott Rick, behavioral scientist and author. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I said, okay, I'll get her like a Kate Spade bag for Christmas. And I went and I saw like bags that kind of looked like nicer versions of what she had. Any of them would have been fine gifts. But then I saw this like gold encrusted sparkly, like a little kind of clutch, like a little rectangle, not, you know, for like everyday use, like for special. And it was like way more expensive than everything else. It would totally be the bag that I would use if I use those kind of bags. Totally not her. Totally me though. My spendthrift brain was like, just like spend the most and wow her. And then she opened it we were with her family and they're like, you know, they're not flashy. And, and she opened it in front of them and it was just like, whew, you could hear the tumbleweeds. And uh, I had just laid an egg. Like the dad finally said, uh, oh, you're going to wear that down at the Kroger's? Like it was just. Uh, uh, welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Monday, January 22nd. I recently got back from Puerto Rico, San Juan, uh, going to the ROI Millionaire Summit run by Rachel Rogers and her Hello7 company. I was there to talk about my career, my financial perspectives, a healthy state of panic. And I got home Saturday and my six-year-old daughter turns to me and she's like, mommy, um, I want to tell you something. I love you and daddy the same, except I do love daddy just a little bit more. (laughs) And I just had to laugh at that. And I wasn't sad about it. I just thought, you know, how often do dads hear that, you know, from a six-year-old? And I was happy for her and him. And this is just a little bit of the behind the scenes of a 
breadwinning mom who does travel for work sometimes and I don't regret it. And I just want to share that with you. I've been recently posting about my breadwinner wife and breadwinner mom musings on Instagram. Um, if you'd like to join me there, I'm there at Farnoosh Tarabi. Another fun thing you can join this week is my investing masterclass, which is fast filling up. It's called Savvy Investing Simplified. I'll drop the link in our show notes. It's at somoneyworkshop.com. It's happening this Thursday live. I will be recording it for all who register. So if you can't make that time slot, don't worry, you'll get the recording and it's going to probably go over an hour because I've been, I've been preparing my slides and my notes and I got a lot to cover and I'm answering a lot of your questions as well. This is going to be highly personal. So moneyworkshop.com to learn more. Everybody who signs up gets five of my favorite so many episodes on investing. Someone just DM'd me this morning about it. Like, hey, if I had to listen to your podcast and just listen to the five maybe best episodes on investing, what would you recommend? I was like, are you reading my mind? Uh, so I sent her to so moneyworkshop.com and hopefully she will uh, sign up for our class and get those recordings. All right, shifting gears to the show today, we have a conversation about how to navigate the financial aspects of relationships when one person is, say, a tightwad and the other person is a spendthrift. There are disparate spending frameworks at play in the relationship. Scott Rick is a behavioral scientist at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, and he's here to help us. He knows that the financial aspects of an intimate relationship can become a money minefield if couples try to navigate it without first discussing all of the financial issues between them, especially if those two people have different approaches to spending. Scott is the author of a new book called Tightwads and Spendthrifts. It is a science-based guide to understanding and transforming how we manage money both on our own and in our relationships. Scott and I talk about the ever-challenging task of gift-giving in a relationship, how to conquer and divide your bank accounts, and important things to model for your kids so that they don't grow up and take on some of the behaviors of either the tightwad or the spendthrift in the family. I know you're going to like this because I know a lot of you are interested in relationships and money. So this one's for you. Here's Scott Rick. Scott Rick, welcome to So Money. I'm so jazzed to be talking to you. I've been leaning on you for years as uh, as the expert that you are in behavioral finance and the psychology of money. And today, congratulations, you're here to share insights from your new book, Tightwads and Spendthrifts, Navigating the Money Minefield in Real Relationships. I'll tell you what, this is, this is, I think people are going to be turning up, pumping up the volume right now. A lot of, a lot of couples in our audience, and I'm sure a couple of them have a, a question or two about how to navigate money in their relationships. So welcome and thank you for joining. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Whenever I tell people about this book, they say, you have to talk to Farnoosh. Really? And I say, <laughs> of course, I know that I'm trying. And yes. finally it's here at my Super Bowl. <laughs> so this is huge. Oh my gosh. Well, we are honored. We are so grateful. And I know many in the audience, I surveyed several people in the audience in December, currently, recently. And we know that many in the audience are in relationships, are married, and our money and relationship episodes do very well. So if that's an indication of how well this episode is going to do, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to focus on couples and money. Um, Scott, your work spans many topics, um, including spending and debt, and you wanted to focus on couples and money specifically. Why? 
Yeah. So I've always been fascinated with spending decisions and why we differ consistently. Some people spend more than others very consistently. I wanted to understand that psychology. And, you know, once I got into a long-term relationship with someone who spends very differently, I'm the spendthrift and my wife is very much a tightwad. Uh, I got kind of fascinated by how other couples manage these differences because they do need to be managed. And now we have a bunch of kids and uh, I'm trying not to turn turn them into total spendthrifts. So I've gotten fascinated with how parents kind of yeah. pass on to the next generation. So it's there's a lot of me search involved. Yes. Yes. As I say, st- write what you know, <laughs> write what you're struggling with, at least have the book help you if nobody else, but this is going to help a lot of people. I've always understood, and I've been working on, I've been studying personal finance for a long, long time, that opposites attract when it comes to relationships, including financial opposites. Is that what you have found that spendthrifts tend to uh, lo- like to hang out with tightwads, at least in the beginning? At least in the beginning. Yes. This is one case where you do get a strong opposites attract pattern. We think part of it is tightwads and spinthrifts don't love being tightwads and spinthrifts. And when you encounter someone who has something you don't like about yourself, it really shines an uncomfortable spotlight on it. It really just makes you uncomfortable to see it playing out like, oh, is that how I am? Ugh. And so we think at first it's kind of enchanting and charming and interesting uh, just to kind of hang around and learn about someone who approaches money very differently. It can be quite fun, at least when you're dating. Um, when you get married and have to make kind of bigger, more impactful decisions about houses and where to live and where to send the kids to school, uh, it can get a little less exciting. Yes, yes. It, it wears off the the initial attraction. Um, that's what I've also understood. So you say that a lot of what we bring into a relationship from, in terms of you know our our financial tendencies, these are personal revelations. These are things that we have you know we've developed over the years. We've been conditioned in certain ways. How does the our psychology influence the way that we then manage money in a relationship? Before we were independent, now we're in a we're in a relationship, and and what's going on psychologically? Yeah, no, there's a lot of like what we call status quo bias. There's things that you develop that are hard to shake once you get in a relationship. You know, we, we see people getting married later and they're coming in with more, uh, much more developed preferences about how they handle money. And so it's hard to change those on the fly. But, you know, tightwads especially are kind of fascinating in this sense. So a lot of them seem to have had a period in life where money was really tight or they felt money was tight and they developed a protective response to keep them from overspending, a lot of anxiety. I know this is related to a lot of your work and like this can be helpful. This is, it's there for a reason. But once their circumstances improve, it's hard to shake these kind of well-learned responses. Uh, I quote a a character from uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. He, He grew up poor, but became a rich industrialist. And someone called him rich. And he said, no, no, I'm not rich. I'm a poor man with money. It, it, you know, the mentality and the feeling stick even when the circumstances change. I think Chris Rock also said that in his latest stand-up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, my kids are rich. I'm poor. Just I have the money. Um, yes. Because, you know, they they grow up much different than he did. And uh, so we still grapple with this in, in modern times. Um, so then it comes to navigating these differences. What are some... 
signs that this is something that needs to be dealt with, as you said earlier. You know, this is not something that we can just cruise through or cruise past that, that a lot of couples break up over their financial differences. And yes. so what are some signs that you really need to sit down and have a plan or shift things around? I mean, the, the sign is just you're in a relationship. I, I think everyone needs to explore this. It's it's going to, even if it's okay now, it's going to come up and there's going to be a parent who gets ill or needs money and th- there's going to be kind of unexpected financial decisions coming your way. So, um, you know, I think uh, it, it helps to kind of, I think we have a measure of tight wad spendthrift tendencies there are other measures out there, just kind of seeing where everyone's at. I think that's a good exercise just to see where they're coming from so you don't misinterpret. Like I might get a bad gift from my spouse right? and think, oh, they don't care about me. But if I remind myself, oh, they are a tightwad and they grew up a tightwad and they're really just reluctant to spend money, it's maybe it's more of that than them not loving me. So it's it can help interpret ambiguous behaviors. But I will say that when you're dating, and if there's something that already kind of irritates you about how your partner spends money, I would just remind you, it's not going to get better when the stakes are higher. It's it's going to kind of continue and maybe get a little worse. So if, if you have this like nagging suspicion, I, I would you know pay attention to it a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think what I'm hearing is that at the very beginning, it's important to know each other's money stories, you know, to get that context. Because in a vacuum, if your if your partner is seemingly a tightwad, that can, you know, you'll create a story around that yourself. But better to maybe understand what their story actually is behind that, whether it's to be able to work within it or at least not have those jump to conclusions. When it comes to managing the money, though, who, how do you delegate when you've got somebody, when you have a couple, we have two people with such disparate financial psychologies. You talk in the book about managing accounts. And then you also talked earlier about couples getting married later in life, which I think brings its own host of complexities. You're so used to doing things your way. Now you have to shift. And that's, that takes, uh, that's a challenge. So how do you recommend with tightwads and spendthrifts, the managing of the accounts and the finances? There are reasonable perspectives here, but different perspectives. But here's what I like. I think um, a joint account can serve an important purpose. I like joint accounts because they can help with psychological money laundering. They, I like all incoming money to be laundered through a joint account. So it's ours. It's not yours and mine. It's ours. You want to get away from scorekeeping ideally, kind of doing what, and uh, that can really degrade a a relationship. But I don't like only joint accounts. Uh, Ideally, there would be separate accounts on the back end of that. So we each get to spend some of our money without close monitoring by the other partner, because close monitoring can get you into all kinds of unnecessary arguments about little things that if you didn't make those purchases, it wouldn't have mattered much anyway. But, you know, people are convinced like, oh, if you don't buy the latte, you can save up and become rich. And um, so you can get into little arguments and and we might have different interests, different hobbies, different passions. And I don't know your worlds and 
you know, my wife is a needle pointer. And if I saw the cost of all of her materials, I might be like, that seems a little overpriced to me. Uh, yarn, I mean, shouldn't that be like a couple cents? So yeah, I, I don't understand that world and she doesn't need me looking over her shoulder. Like we have an understanding. We each get a certain amount that we take from the joint into the separate. And yeah, that's all the detail we need. And so that can help manage these frictions. I agree. I, I like the I like having the multiple accounts. I think having financial autonomy is so, so important. Often the squabbles are over those, you know, well, she, he doesn't understand that, you know, getting my roots done is three hundred dollars uh, every few months and and vice versa. She may not understand, you know, some of his hobby purchases. It, right. It just it's like there are bigger things to tackle. The world the life is short. But what are some other ground rules? It sounds like that's a good ground rule. It's just sort of, you know, have have, let's say that financial autonomy and not get into the weeds of personal spending so much. I've heard about, and I like the idea of practicing uh, spending thresholds. If you're going to go make a purchase for the household, you're in, you're at the forefront of that decision. Let's say it's a, a new washer dryer or what have you, that there's an agreement as to like, we're not going to, you're not just going to buy that and come home and be like, it was $3,000, you know, that there's going to be a conversation or a few texts before that happens. Because <laughs> let's be honest, one person may not be interested in shopping. You know, they're not the consumer in the, in the relationship. So, but you still want to honor what's, you know, responsible for you two yes. to be spending on. And so, I'm, I'm looking for more of that too, if you found research to back that stuff up. Yes. And you're reminding me of the kind of the horrifying commercials, like the Lexus and the driveway. <laughs> oh, I know. Those were like, you know, and the, they, Lexus does a great job of saying like, oh, isn't it so sweet? It's so romantic. Husband of the year. And I'm like, where did that money come from? Yeah. <laughs> immediate grounds for divorce. Um, but no, uh, yeah. In, in terms of, uh, you know, process and procedure, you know, thresholds make a lot of sense. So I, I call the approach I, I prefer is like financial translucency instead of financial transparency. Like we have a sense of what everyone's doing. The details are available upon request. Hopefully the requests are few and far between. But, you know, I don't want to say we should never talk about, you know, um, spending. I, I think it's just, you know, it's kind of an open door policy. If you want a second pair of eyes on what you've been spending, like, sure, let's look at it. Uh, we can go through the details if you like. There should be a, an openness and availability for that. But that's not the the norm. It's just, it's not proactive. It's just, you can invite me in if you like. But, you know, if, if it seems like things are problematic, if like we're spending a little too much, I think a good first step is self-audits. Like, let's agree to each look through what we've been doing. And at least initially, all I need to hear from you is that you've done that. I trust you to, if you've noticed something is off, you'll make adjustments. And we can, you know, if you like, again, we can talk, but starting kind of individually, uh, I think is a good way to go. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of autonomy and, um, everyone having a room of their own, so to speak. And I, I think it's important. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio, to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karakol jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince, my very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy. You want a bra that's comfortable. You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. Have you researched the complexities that come up with tightwads and spendthrifts and maybe one person doesn't bring in an income? And how does that play out? And are those, is that game plan different? Yeah, no, I mean, psychologically, that's, it can be extremely difficult, um, you know, on, on both parties. And there's a lot of guilt and just 
bad feelings that can go along with that. Personally, I say no, it should not be different. Like if one person is making an income at the moment and the other is not, well, it's still our money and it all goes through the joint account. It's all laundered. And so it's just there. It's just available to both of us symmetrically. It's never, so I don't like this thing where it's deposited into my account and then I chip into a joint account. It should start with joint. It's always ours. And so we can both take from ours as needed. And so that's one thing that the joint helps with just kind of, I mean, it, it might sound bad, but I think it is good to kind of gloss over these income differences between partners if possible and not dwell on them. It's again, I, I'm assuming like things are going well, you're committed, there's trust. I'm not talking about relationships where it's like already on the edge. I'm saying it's good, but maybe it could be better. Right. I think sometimes the challenge for the person who's not making an income is that they may not feel empowered to go take from the joint account and go spend on themselves. So clearly an understanding has to be established ahead of time. How do you recommend those conversations? So much of your book is about communication skills and we all lack that. I think, I mean, even my husband and I, in the beginning of our relationship, it's hard and we don't learn this in school or you don't, it's not modeled. So to have that conversation or any kind of conversation, what, what are some of your uh, best strategies? Yeah, no, it is, I think really incumbent on the person with the higher or perhaps the only income to clearly convey that, you know, I know you are contributing in other ways. Maybe there's a child involved and you have to stay home. And, you know, there would not be this discrepancy if you were not kind of helping all of us in this way. And so I think of it as our money. And I hope you do too. And, you know, the bank account structure you set up can reinforce that message. Mm -hmm. And ideally, the withdrawals from the joint account can themselves be automated so that we each automatically get X taken out of that into our own separate accounts so that you don't have to feel the sensation of pulling money out of the joint when you have mixed feelings about um, that being yours. So yeah, the, the higher earner does have this, it's, it's essential for them to convey this message. Yeah. Take the lead on that. Yeah. I think it sounds like it, you really need to get clear on what things cost in the relationship and not just the rent and the utilities, but also, you know, personal spending that uh, would give the person who is working at home, not making an income outside of the home, but still working, who needs access to money and liquidity for things that are for the household and maybe not just for the household. Maybe it's just for their own wellness because exactly. um, they're doing a job, you know, and they should, they should have a gym membership. <laughs> they should have uh, ability to go and, and spend, um, get a meal with friends on occasion. Um, you wrote this book because you said it was personal to you. So I want to understand maybe how you have applied some of these learnings and lessons in your own marriage. Yeah. And, and just to, circle back on one tiny thing. I would say what we draw from the joint account, it doesn't need to be X for both of us. It could be X for me, Y for you. It doesn't need to be equal. It it depends on, you know, the person who has less of an income could be doing more of the shopping, more of the spending for the household. Right. So it just depends. Yeah. So my wife and I, I've, I've learned a lot from our relationship and certainly the account structure. I will say we lucked into it. We, we just started by doing the, the joint and the two separate before I really carefully studied the issue. And 
And the studies have kind of supported this view that you the joint account is kind of essential at the front end for receiving incoming money. But I've learned kind of how to be a better gift giver. I, I was really bad and I'm less bad now. And I learned just how important these moments are to the relationship. Like I, I walk around with all these thoughts and feelings, you know, positive thoughts and feelings about Julie, my wife, but I don't always say them. Yeah. What I say is like, oh, are you going to be here to let the repair person in? And who's picking the kids up from soccer? But we don't always articulate kind of how we feel or what we're thinking about our partner. And so I, I've learned how to use gifts to really hmm. convey and, and reinforce kind of my appreciation for my partner. Yeah. Go on. Tell yeah, me about right, these right. gifts. <laughs> yeah. No. So like I, I used to, I, I tell a story about early in the marriage. Uh, I knew she liked Kate Spade at the time. Hmm. And uh, I said, okay, I'll get her like a Kate Spade bag for Christmas. And I went and I saw like bags that kind of looked like nicer versions of what she had. Any of them would have been fine gifts. But then I saw this like gold encrusted, sparkly, like a little kind of clutch, like a little rectangle, not, you know, for like everyday use, like for special. Right, right, right. And it was like way more expensive than everything else. It would totally be the bag that I would use if I used those kind of bags. And because I like flashy kind of fun conversation pieces, totally not her, totally me though. And so my spendthrift brain was like, just like spend the most and wow her. And then she opened it. We were with her family and they're like all Pittsburghers and, <laughs> um, you know, they're not flashy. And, and she opened it in front of them and it was just like, you could hear the tumbleweeds. And, uh, I had just laid an egg, like the dad finally said, uh, Oh, you're going to wear that down at the Kroger's? Like it was just, uh, uh. yeah. And so it, it, she was hurt. She was wounded by this. Like I, uh. it felt like I didn't see her yeah. and didn't understand yeah. her. Oh, And so that went back immediately. But now I think I am getting better at kind of understanding what's on her mind, what she's excited about, what she is on her like to-do list and like, you know, adventure list and, and trying to get gifts that are much more tailored to that. Yeah. That was the beginning of the relationship, right? I think that we all, very early. I mean, yes. my husband similarly got me um, like Bose speakers for um, our, one of our first Christmases. And that was after I had taken the lead to gift plan all of the gifts for his side of the family. And I think I was just feeling so unthanked and unseen and it was bad. Like I was like in a dark place for a little yeah. bit and I didn't, you know, and, and it was, he, you know, but in his mind, that was a cool gift. Like he would have liked to have gotten those. And I'm like, yeah, but give, you know, giving yourself a gift, maybe we should start gifting ourselves around the holidays. It would just go. So we, we had a talk and now it's better. I think every couple has that sort of gift. And then the other thing too, is that sometimes your partner, you know, it doesn't have the, it, what if you're the tightwad and you're trying to get something for the spendthrift? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think a good, yeah, exactly. Exactly. A good gift requires sacrifice. I need to have the sense that this was not super easy for you to pick up or find. And so tightwads and spendthrifts need to demonstrate sacrifice in different ways. Right. So as a spendthrift, if I get my wife, Bose speakers or like a new iPad, like it's a nice product, but 
there's no sacrifice there. She sees me make those purchases all the time. I just bought myself a new iPhone. Like it's no big deal. And it's, it doesn't kind of closely match her interest or, right. or yeah. So, um, you know, if I need to demonstrate sacrifice, I've got to plan something. I've got a surprise her with some, you know, adventure, a weekend getaway that I've planned. Or, uh, you know, she's like starting a needlepoint business. So I like took her logo and made some marketing materials this Christmas for her uh, to help launch that business. And, you know, it's, it was not the most expensive thing, but it was like hopefully thoughtful. And so it, it's really kind of time and energy and yeah. Um, effort. Now, a tightwad, they, the tightwad still needs to know their partner and understand what they like and dislike. But them, it's a little easier to demonstrate sacrifice. They find spending painful. If they go out and spend a bunch of money, that's, I don't know, it's kind of flattering. Like, I know that wasn't easy for you. That's right. That's information. So it's, you know, it gifts that we receive, it's all interpreted through this lens of what we know about this person and what was hard for them versus easy. Yeah, it has to be the thought. <laughs> yes. A lot of thinking has to go into the gift. You mentioned earlier the concerns of raising children in an environment where there are disparate financial approaches. You know, we're not saying that spendthrifts are better than tightwads or vice versa, but that there's each has something to work on. And then finding that common ground is is the goal. As a child growing up in this and witnessing this, what do you want parents to be conscious of and so that they can maybe overcorrect a little bit or, you know, help their kids not fall into these similar patterns? Yes. Yeah. There are things we put up with from our spouse when it's just the two of us. But then when you are kind of shaping children, these things might be like, okay, stop. Right. Um, and so kids get a lot of mis mixed messages uh, they hear kind of verbal advice and, you know, teaching from parents about how you should spend money. And then they kind of see what their parents do. And they get a lot of information about what their parents do with money. And the parents can either talk them through that or just let the kids guess at where, how they afforded that car or house or whatever. So, you know, I've certainly told my kids like, oh, don't spend that birthday money from grandma just yet. Mm -hmm. uh, hold on, I'm going to order myself like two new pairs of Air Jordans. Uh, okay, let's back to you saving. But it's interesting because tight ones and spendthrifts don't necessarily want their kids to follow in their footsteps. So the verbal advice they give is often, you know, don't be like me, go more towards uh, a middle ground. Yeah. But what the kids pick up on is what the parents do. That seems to be more important. We can't pick up on everything immediately. Like the kid cannot see the parent get a bad mortgage and go out and get their own bad mortgage. But when the time comes, they often mimic in a way what they saw when they were younger. And so yeah. we do kind of drift towards becoming our parents. It's not clear immediately, but it's the seeds have been planted. It's, it's there. It's hard to get away from. Are there conversations you recommend having with kids as they get older and they show more curiosity and they want to maybe spend their own money? Like, are there, um, you know, if you do give an allowance, are there ground rules, parameters that you recommend? Absolutely. And as a spendthrift, I am becoming more aware of this and trying to talk them through well, what it means to charge something on credit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and initially this just seems like, this free card that you have, and they don't understand the mechanics of it. Just helping them understand kind of why that other family has 
a gigantic house and we don't. And just these financial literacy items, I think it's good to kind of talk them through that. And frankly, I try not to be such a spendthrift in front of them. Yeah. Um, You know, I... I might save my online shopping for when they go to bed or, you know, there's certain things that they don't need to know about that I've right. spent and they don't need to know everything, but it is good to let them know kind of how the world works. For the younger kids, like my daughter is six and I, she and I no longer, she doesn't like to go grocery shopping with me, but when she was little, we used to go to the grocery store and I would not every time, but my, um, my goal was that to make this kind of a learning moment for her. So I would have a list. Inevitably, she would want things that I didn't want to purchase because we already had it or it wasn't healthy. And I would explain that to her. I'd be like, we're getting what's on the list or we already have that. If we get that, then that we're going to waste because we're not going to be able to use. So, you know, the, the grocery store can be fertile ground oh, for yes. a lot of these trade-off conversations and budget conversations with little kids. And maybe as they get older, they can be the ones that go to the grocery shopping for you. I don't know. Wonderful. I'm not there yet. But I think just had a brilliant idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making a note here. Um, but yeah, ideally also you could pay with cash if at all possible. Exactly. Cool, yes. But yes. Have the, that's much more clear, the visual. And it takes longer. Um, it's just kind of a moment to kind of reflect. Yeah. So it's a great place for lessons. It's also a place where you can make really lasting mistakes. Um, (laughs) and I've done that a lot, like just the Pokemon cards that I throw in just to like put out a fire and, um, they, they remember that and they love to report that to mom or or the other parent as soon as you get home, like, Oh, look at what dad bought me. Yeah. I get it. Mom about the 10,000 times I said, no, you just say the one time I said yes. Well, it's interesting you say we mimic our parents, but I feel like sometimes we try to be the complete opposite of our parents, especially if we grew up in a household that was, you constantly heard no, no, no around purchases, where now as an adult with your own money, you kind of want to overdo it and and reverse that. So it's, uh, as you know, this is all deeply rooted in how we were raised. And so at some point, maybe there is... when do you know it's time to work with a third party? You know, whether that's a financial planner or even a psychiatrist. As far as like kids going the other way, if when I hear parents say that, I would say, okay, let's talk again in like 10 years. I, I want to check back. I, they might come around. But no, I mean, I think, you know, sooner is better. I am fascinated I, by the field of financial therapy. There are so many good, interesting people doing work in this area. But I, yeah, I would just be aware that it can really eat away at marital well-being. It's right up there with in-laws is like the big reason why these things fall apart. And yeah, sometimes people say, oh, when you're arguing about money, it's just kind of, there's a deeper issue there. Yeah, It's not really about the money. And, and sometimes that's true. But, you know, our experiments suggest that the money itself can create all these psychological dynamics mm-hmm. where it is about the money. And if you could just restructure how the house works, you could actually live a happier life. And so sometimes it is about the money and it can be fixed. Even if you don't have a ton of money, you can use the money you have in happier ways. Yeah, because it's symbolic of what you value and your stories, personal, and the new story that you want to create together. Scott, Rick, thank you so much. Your book is called Tightwads and Spendthrifts, Navigating the Money Minefield in Real Relationships. I'll put the link in our show notes for everybody who wants to check it out and learn more because this was just the tip of the iceberg, our 30 minutes together. So much more in your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks again to our guest, Scott Rick, for joining his book again. It's called Tightwads and Spendthrifts. I'll put that link in our show notes, as well as a link for my So Money workshop live happening this Thursday. Would love to see you there. It's a one-time only engagement and we have limited seats and we are filling up and the door closes very soon. So if you have any questions about that, just DM me on Instagram, send me an email, furnishedsomoneypodcast.com, but it's very simple. You come, you learn, you grow, we laugh. I'm going to try and make it fun. Promise. All right. See you next time. And I hope your day is so money. Hosting the So Money Podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money Members Club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.